Good morning. Good to see you. Good to be back with you after a week of being gone. Good to see your smiling faces. Thank you so much. Hello, Benton. Waving from the back. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here this morning. I do want to say that uh, I appreciate Larry so much for filling in for me Sunday morning and for David filling in for me Sunday night and for Sam Dominguez hosting the podcast. If you hadn't listened to that episode of the podcast, please do. It's a tribute to his father, and it is a, a fantastic episode. I also want to say to you, we have something a little different tonight. We are having our worship service out back on the patio. So bring a lawn chair and uh, some sides for hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, we'll be worshiping out there with Luke leading us in some songs. Our intern, Tyler Yeager, will be uh, preaching for us. And then we'll enjoy some fellowship. By the way, if you haven't met Tyler, he is our intern this summer from Sholo, Arizona. Tyler, stand up if you would. This is Tyler. So everybody make Tyler feel welcome if you haven't met him yet. Uh, get to know him a little bit. He's not with us very long, so uh, we want to make sure that he feels at home. So there was this tornado that ripped through a small town, killing many, causing a lot of damage. Many homes and businesses were destroyed. One particular home had a chicken coop out back. That chicken coop collapsed, killing many of the chickens. But the next morning, a rattling could be heard from underneath that collapsed chicken coop. Out comes a rooster who shakes off the debris, sticks out its chest, and gives out a big cock-a-doodle-doo. It's as if that rooster was saying, it was a bad night, but the sun has risen. It's a new day. If we know anything about storms, we know that they can be very destructive. They can be very dangerous, and they can cause us a lot of angst. But one thing we know about them is they don't last, right? They're temporary. What does last is that new day, that hope on the horizon that we all as Christians have to look forward to. Maybe you had a bad night. Maybe you've had a bad illness. Maybe you've had a bad marriage. Maybe you've had a bad past. But because the sun has risen, cock-a-doodle-doo. We have hope, right? We have hope in victory. Though the storms come, they also go. They are temporary, but the sun has risen, and therefore all of us can cry out, Cock-a-doodle-doo, because we are the victors. When my beloved Arkansas Razorbacks were making their championship run in 1994, Nolan Richardson had a message for his team. He said, as we're playing all these tough teams, I don't want you to celebrate after you beat them. I don't want you hooping and hollering and jumping up and down on the floor after the game. We'll do our celebrating in the locker room. And the reason why he sent this message to his team is because he said, we, we belong here. We're the better team. We deserve this. So it's not a, a huge upset that we beat one of these good teams. No, we're the good team. So the Razorbacks played with a chip on their shoulder all that season. They didn't celebrate till they got to the dressing room because they heeded the message of their coach, which was expect a win. That's a good message for us as well. Expect to win. Because we are winners, right? We should expect to win. 
We should play with this chip on our shoulder towards the devil because he's already defeated. He's the underdog, not us. This is what is written in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. You were created to be a winner. Do you notice that? The purpose for your creation was to rule and reign over the earth. Man was placed in paradise. But as you know, he fumbled the ball. And mankind lost. And because he lost, he was confined to the bench. He was out of the game he was merely a spectator outside the Garden of Eden. Instead of living a life of victory, he had to watch from the sidelines. That's what redemption is all about. It's about getting back in the game. It's about recovering what was fumbled. And it's about victory. But even though we are winners, all too often we live like losers. Far too many of us go through life beaten, dejected, downtrodden, and understandably so to some degree. All of us have been among the walking wounded at some point. We've all earned a purple heart for this battle for our heart. It's like a basketball game or a football game where the team wins, but they lose a lot of players to injury. It's like, what did we really win? We won the game, but we lost so many players that it really didn't feel like a win. It, in any war, there may be victory, but there's always casualties. It's what we lose in the process that makes us feel defeated. And so you hear somebody like me say, hey, celebrate, right? You may be beaten down. You may feel dejected, but you're a winner. And you say, well, really, what do I have to celebrate? I don't feel like a winner. I mean, my life has been been filled with, with failures that I can point to to show you that I'm not a winner. I can, I can barely keep my head above water. Winners don't cry themselves to sleep at night. What are you talking about? Celebrate. I lost my job. I lost my spouse. I lost my health. What exactly did I win here? In 1943, a psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow came up with what we refer to now as the hierarchy of needs. And uh, it starts at a base level and it works its way upward. And at, at the foundational level, the most basic need for human beings is said to be food, clothing, shelter, those kind of things. And until someone has those basic needs met, they will not be motivated to grow and mature and develop and achieve more. I think that's where most of us live. Is it that, that lower level? just trying to meet our basic needs, just trying to get through life. Maybe not so much on a physical level, but definitely on a spiritual level, right? We're just trying to get by. We're in survival mode. We're not striving and thriving because we have a hard enough time just surviving. It's like, it's like we're caught in a storm and there's a tornado coming and the wind's blowing fiercely and we're hanging on to that big oak tree and the wind has picked our feet up off the ground and we're horizontal and we're just hanging on for dear life knowing that we can't let go because if we let go, we're going to be spun around by the tornado and spit out. I want to encourage you this morning to let go. And hopefully by the end of this lesson, by the end of this series, you see that there's strength in letting go. Hopefully, you'll go from survival mode to thriving overload. 
I know I've said this many times, and perhaps you're getting sick of hearing it, but I, I can't conclude this series without saying it one more time. This is a battle for your soul. This is the fight of our lives, and it's an invisible battle fought in a visible world. All that is happening around you is not all that is happening. If that's all you see, that's not all that there is to see. While you live in the visible, there is an invisible world that is surrounding you and things that are going on so that if you want to fix something in the physical, you have to address it in the spiritual. There is a divine answer to these problems that we are facing. And this fight is not just physical. It's not against human beings. Humans are the victims. They're not the enemy. The enemy, of course, is Satan. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Matrix? Now, it's a rather complicated plot, so I won't get too far into it. But basically, this main character, Thomas Anderson, who's also known as Neo, is living in a visible world, but has discovered something that's happening in the invisible world. He's discovered that there is an invisible cyber world that is controlling things that are happening in the visible physical world, and so he has a choice to make. Which world is he going to live in? Kind of sound like us? Kind of sound like our spiritual fight? That we live in this visible, physical realm, but there is an invisible realm that exists God and also Satan and his forces of evil. And we've got to decide which world we're going to live in. All too often, we've got one foot in each, right? Now, we do live in this physical realm. There's no doubt about it. But are we going to see the invisible Are we going to look towards the invisible? Are we going to dwell in that physical kingdom without even thinking about the invisible realm? Are we going to direct all our efforts to the world that we can't see? Which world are you going to live in? Who is in control of your life? Of course, it goes without saying that if you want to live victorious in the physical, then you must draw strength from the divine. God has called us to victory. And so like Thomas Anderson, like Neo, we are the one. Remember that? You are the one, Neo. We are the one. We are the chosen. We have to decide what we're going to do about that. Recognizing that is half the battle. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. And beginning in verse 15, this is what we read. Paul talking here. So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Now understand, the book of Ephesians can be divided into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about our identity in Christ, and chapters 4 through 6 talk about our activity in Christ. So Paul starts with talking about who we are in Jesus, and he ends with talking about what we're supposed to be as people who identify with Christ. Identity and activity. And notice again what he writes. So then, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Paul is making a contrast between winners and losers. Did you catch that? Actually, it's between the wise and foolish, but same concept. In essence, Paul says, you're a Christian, you're wise, so act like it. Act like a Christian. Let 
Let your actions affirm your identity. Paul talks about walking. Why is he talking about walking here? Well, I liken it to when I go to my friend Robert O'Dell's house to fish. So I have to walk through a gate, shut the gate behind me, and I have to walk about 100 yards to the tank. Now, the reason I have to go through a gate and make sure I shut the gate behind me is because he has cows. And as I'm making that 100-yard trek from the gate to the tank, there are a lot of landmines, some fresher than others. So if I want to keep my boots clean, I've got to be careful how I walk. And certainly that's what Paul is referencing here in a way. There are a lot of landmines in this life. Be careful how you walk. Because one false move, one false step could blow up your integrity. It could blow up your marriage. It could blow up your intimacy with God. It could blow up your fellowship with other people. So be careful when putting one front in, uh, one foot in front of the other. The Bible actually talks quite a bit about this contrast between wisdom and, and foolishness or between winning and losing, and rightfully so because wisdom is something that we acquire. Foolishness you don't have to work too hard for. You don't have to do a lot to attain foolishness because it's kind of our default setting on our hearts, right? You may not want to admit that, but we all have to admit that foolishness is kind of the default setting. So gaining wisdom is about changing your default setting. We see in Psalm 14:1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We've talked about this before, but uh, the English translators a lot of times insert a word or two here and there to make it read easier. It doesn't change the integrity of the scripture. They just include that, and it may be italicized in your Bible, the words that are included, maybe articles, things like that. And here in Psalm 14, verse 1, for better understanding, the translators added the words, there is. There is is not in the original manuscript. The original manuscript reads like this. The fool has said in his heart, no God. No God. Because that's what the fool does. The fool says no to God. That exemplifies foolishness, that we say no to God, and we do that, right? Maybe not consciously all the time. But in our hearts, we may say no to God because we want to be in control. We want things the way that we want them. That's what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. The serpent tempted her to have it her way. It's Burger King theology. Have it your way. That's what the serpent did. Eve wanted it her way. She wanted to be in control. But listen to me, folks. Every time we take the steering wheel, every time we crash, every single time we grab hold of the steering wheel and we decide that we're going to drive, we crash the car. So the wise individual is the one who turns the steering wheel over to God and allows the divine GPS to guide us. And that's hard, really hard. I can't tell you how many times I've been using GPS driving through somewhere and I think, yeah, I mean, the GPS doesn't know what it's talking about. And then I find out later, I wish I'd have listened to it. We do that so many times in our lives. We don't listen to the divine GPS. We say no to God and we follow our own directions and we get lost every time. Listen to what James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. So the first step to daily victory is understanding that winners fill their minds with wisdom. Now look at verses 16 and 17 again, Ephesians 5. Making the most of your time 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Read these words with your calendar in your mind. Think about all the things that are on your schedule, because there will be a variety of things that compete for your attention this week. And please, please hear me on this. Some of us are too busy for God. And the only thing I can say to you is, if you're too busy for God, you're too busy. That's it. There is no deeper theological saying that I can give to you. That's it. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy, and you've got to change that immediately, right? Some of you are bargain shoppers. Some of you go to the grocery store with coupons in hand. So you hand that coupon to the cashier, hoping to get $5, $10 off of whatever the product is. Have you ever noticed on the coupon at the very bottom, there's some fine print? In really small print, it will give the actual value of that coupon. It'll say one-tenth of a penny. The coupon only matters if you redeem it. The $10 off, you only get that if you redeem it. That's what we need to do with our time. We've been given a coupon and we've got to redeem it or else it's worthless. Here's something you probably know, but time is a non-renewable resource. Once a moment has passed, you can't recapture it. We recognize this, which is why we've come up with all sorts of time management strategies and and time-saving devices. Many have allowed time to manage them rather than managing the time that has been given to them. But here's the deal. Time management is really a misnomer. You can't manage time. What are you going to do with it? You can't save it or store it up for later. You can't stop it. You can't even slow it down. Time's going to go whether you like it or not. As a preacher, Sunday's always coming around. I can't slow it down. I can't stop it, right? You can't manage time. All you can do is redeem it. It's our duty to take this non-renewable resource and, and spend it wisely because time is valuable. It's more, t- it's more valuable than money. I know you know that, but it's fleeting. It goes by so quickly. Time is also a blessing, and we need to appreciate this blessing. Much of your time this week is going to be spent doing some good things, some really good things. But are they best things? Winners fill their time with what is best. Best things must come first, which means that we're probably going to have to say no to some good things. Some things that we really enjoy. Paul speaks of redeeming the time. That's how the New King James renders it, redeeming the time. Redeem means to purchase for a person's use. So there's kind of a a monetary aspect to time. You are responsible for how you spend every second that you are given. Redeem it wisely. Take inventory of your life. Who makes your schedule? You do. You make your schedule. So chart it out. If you have 24 hours in a day, which we all do, mark off eight for sleep. Hopefully you get eight hours of sleep. That leaves you about 16 hours. What are you going to do with those 16 hours? Well, maybe eight of them are spent working or, or going to school. What are you going to do with the other eight? Well, Chris, I got to, you know, change diapers, make supper, you know, get the kids fed and, you know, ready for bed, help them with homework and all that. Okay, that's fine. But there's still some time left. So what are you doing with that time? Well, you know, I you know, spend a couple hours on social media or, you know, these different things. What? What are we doing with that time? And is God drenching every second of that? We can be busy in some things and still be devoted to God, right? We can allow Him to saturate every second of our day, but we're going to have to say no to some good things in order to say yes to what is best. 
Victorious living will also manifest itself in being filled. Look at verse 18 again. And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, Paul is making this contrast between winners and losers. Losers engage in debauchery, he says. Debauchery here just simply means living outside the boundaries or not living within the guardrails. It refers to recklessness. The winners are those who operate within the confines of God's will. And rather than being filled with recklessness, winners are filled with the Holy Spirit. I think most, if not all of us, know what it's like to live under the influence of something. It may not be drugs or alcohol. It may be something else. It may be pornography. It may be just the influence of the world in in general. We've all found ourselves living under the influence of sin at one time or another. On my cell phone, there is a battery icon in the corner. looks something like that. And this battery icon, of course, tells me how much battery life I have left on my phone. This morning, it's at about 95%. How many of you, by show of hands, have at least 90% battery on your cell phone this morning? Okay, pretty good number. We should probably start with how many of you know what a cell phone is? Okay, so let me ask you this, if you're not too embarrassed to say so. How many of you have 20% or less battery on your cell phone this morning? (laughs) There's a brave soul. (laughs) What does that tell us? If you have 90% or more battery, what did you do to your phone last night? You charged it, right? You plugged it in. If you have 20% or less, you probably didn't do that. What if we were to walk around with this battery icon on our forehead showing how much of the Spirit we're filled with. How would it read? Of course, the only way to keep it full is to to plug in. And, And not just at night. It's being plugged into the source constantly, every single day, every single second. You stay plugged in because the moment you become disconnected, you lose life. And do you know why we need to be constantly filled? Because we are holy people, right? Yeah, not H-O-L-Y. We are holy people. H-O-L-E-Y. We're constantly leaking. So we're constantly needing filling. Notice Paul has this do not do this, do this admonition. Do not walk as unwise men, but as wise. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is trying to open the eyes of the hearts of these Christians, and he's saying this is how you live as a child of God. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Live at the center of God's will. This same Paul talked about what will be produced in your life if you do live by the Spirit. If you're filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, it will produce certain things, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, that's what's going to be produced in your life. And then I want you to notice what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Same kind of thing, isn't it? 
Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with wisdom and understanding. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And what's going to happen to your life if the Word of Christ is richly dwelling within you? It's going to change everything, isn't it? It's going to completely change who you are. That's what Paul is driving at. I hate to tell you this, but Ephesians 5, 19 as well as Colossians 3, that, that's not Paul giving a defense for a cappella singing versus instrumental music, okay? There is a command to sing there, and I think we should follow that. But we often pluck verse 19 out and make it stand alone as our proof text for, for uh, a cappella singing. Actually, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 is all one sentence in the Greek. Paul is making a defense for being filled by the Spirit, and when you're filled by the Spirit, what are you going to do? You're going to sing. You can't help it. You can't help but burst out in song, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father. And that's really the final thing that I want to impart to you is that when it comes to living in victory, those who are filled with God's Spirit have hearts that are filled with praise. In other words, winners sing. Because they can't help it. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you understand what, the, what, what overwhelming things God has done for you, you, you can't help but to sing and to rejoice. I don't know about you, but there are certain songs when they come on the radio, I, they take me back. It's kind of sentimental. Maybe those songs came out when I was in high school or something. or you know, Maybe they, they kind of define a certain point in my life. And they stir emotions. They prick your heart, right? Sometimes they make you happy. Sometimes they make you sad. Music has a way of doing that. But here's the deal. As Christians, we don't sing in order to stir emotion or in order to make people happy. We sing because our emotions have been stirred, because we are happy. More than that, we're overjoyed. The singing is a result of being filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, Paul says, you can't help but sing out. You can't help but praise God in every point of your life. Our joy and happiness are caused by God, and we can't help but sing. Listen to what James writes. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. There's this cause and effect kind of thing going on here. The cause of our singing is the overwhelming joy that we find in a relationship with God. When we truly understand what it means to live at the center of God's will, when we truly understand that we are responsible for the death of another human being and we have been forgiven of our sins, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't help but sing praises. We are so overwhelmed with joy about what God has done for us that we can't help but praise Him. It just comes out of our pores. It exudes from us. We don't make music in order to make our hearts happy. We make music because our hearts are happy. We are praising God in song because He has put a song in our hearts. And we articulate our praise and our thankfulness through our singing. When uh, World War I broke out, the uh, war ministry in London sent a coded message to a British-controlled part of Africa. And that message read simply, War declared, arrest all enemy aliens in your district. After a while, a reply came back that read, have arrested 10 Germans, 
six Belgians, four Frenchmen, two Italians, three Austrians, and an American. Please advise immediately who we are at war with. That would be a good question to answer, wouldn't it? Who are we at war with? Hopefully you know. Hopefully there's no doubt in your mind as to who we are battling against. It's not each other. It's not humans. It's the devil. And recognizing that is half the battle. Understanding who it is that we're fighting against. And also understanding that we win this thing as long as we continue to fight. You know, when you read a story, you start at the beginning and you, you go along until you get to the end, right? Not so with this story. God saw fit in this story to start at the end, to show us the victory, and then everything works backwards from that. So, as I've said before, turn to the back of your Bible. You find out how this whole thing plays out. We win, right? We have victory. We just have to keep fighting. Keep growing, keep developing, keep maturing, and keep understanding who the battle is against and how we come out victorious. I, I know there's some people here this morning that are struggling. I know that some of you feel defeated. Some of you are at a point in your life where you're, you're down and you're dejected. Some of you are battling illness. Some of you are battling difficult times in your life. It won't always be this way, right? There is hope on the horizon. I want to encourage you this morning to shake off the breeze, the debris, stick out your chest and let out a big cockadoodle-doo because we know how this thing ends. Let us help you if we can. Jim's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?